What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of GreenRope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Festock, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. This episode is brought to you in part by Habits at Work. Habits at Work sees a future where people are healthy, happy, and secure, and their better lives build the companies that flourish your company. So let's build this future together. Feel free to visit habitsatwork.com. Hey, do you struggle with bringing your marketing and technology together in one place that is seamless, that not only produces a higher quality product, but increases the communication inside of your company between those two areas? Insert Serendipity Interactive. They help you bring strategy to life by executing and making fortunate discoveries for your business by focusing on the future while you maintain your present. If you're ready right now to find and develop your own fortunate discovery today, visit serendipityinteractive.com. Hey, maybe you're listening to this interview and episode right now and you're thinking, I would love to have my product and or service in this spot right here. Well, you can do that. Feel free to send us an email at info at highlevelwisdom.com or you can visit our information and learn how you can purchase ad space right here. www.highlevelwisdom.com Now, let's listen to this week's episode. Hey, and welcome to another episode. Thank you guys so much for listening and tuning in this week. Hey, while we getting started, feel free to like, friend, and share on social media. You can find us at High Level Wisdom as a handle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's at High Level Wisdom all together. Go ahead and share it now because this week you're getting a chance to hear from the CEO of a great company out of Chicago area called Habits at Work, and it's held by Andrew Sykes. Now, Andrew is pretty interesting in his own. Uh, the one thing that we have uh, together that we love when it comes to training and developing and talking with people and dealing with employee bases is I absolutely love the uh, art and the understanding of psychology. I absolutely love talking about neuroscience because when you can learn uh, what makes people tick, then you can understand what things you need to do as a CEO, what initiatives you need to bring in when you understand the culture and the dynamics that are running throughout your organization. 
Well, this gentleman started a company called Habits at Work. It's a fascinating company that helps you understand the pivotal habits that are leading people to greater health, happiness, and security. And in between all of that are the habits that we have. So I want you to listen to my interview with the CEO of Habits at Work, Andrew Sykes. Andrew, how are you today? Fantastic, Chris. Uh, very pleased to be with you and your listeners today. Thank you. Absolutely. So, Andrew, I didn't want to spoil any of the surprises. I didn't want to give our audience away too much information. Talk to our audience about habits at work and share a little bit about your journey. Like give give our audience an understanding of, you know, how did you get here where you, you know, working in the farm one day and, you know, went from individual contributor to CEO, like give us a little bit of that story and then share with us what the heck is habits at work and why is this so important and passionate to you? Got it. Will do. My career starts in South Africa. I originally qualified as an actuary and my first business was a health insurance consultancy and brokerage. And over the first decade of my career, we built that business into what became one of South Africa's largest health insurance consultancies in that country. And at some point, I had a discussion with my board asking this question, which is, there was clear evidence that we had succeeded by many measures, and we felt good about all of the help we had given employers to design and optimize their health insurance, but I was frustrated that we had no real evidence one way or the other, about this question of whether we were having an impact on the health of the members in these plans. And I remember it, it as clear as day that it was a question that was keeping me up at night but didn't seem to be really that interesting to anyone else I was having the discussion with. And over a series of about three or four months, I decided that I should uh, pack up my bags and come to the U.S., at the time, in the hope of finding the answer to the question, how to develop effective wellness programs that really make a difference to people's lives. And so I moved to Texas, specifically to Dallas in 2005. And you might imagine at that time, it didn't take me long to realize that the great lesson to learn in the US is that in this country, wellness is largely a story of failure. Wow. And so I became passionate about this question, which is why in a country with all these resources and with incredibly smart people and all the advantages of the leading country on the planet, why are we continuing to fail in our quest to be healthy? Because by many measures, Americans are amongst the least healthy population on the planet, certainly amongst other developed countries. Absolutely. Yeah. And so a, a couple of years later, I set up what we now call our BRAT lab or our Behavioral Research Applied Technology Laboratory, which is quite a mouthful. But we named it that because one of our early insights was people don't generally do what they know to do. And Maya Angelou has this great quote, which is, do the best you can until you know better, and when you know better, you'll do better. And although it's a, a wonderfully beautiful quote, we've noticed that as adults, few of us actually follow that advice. And my own uh, evidence of that is I had my first cigarette as a six-year-old kid in uh, 
in those days, being the youngest of eight kids, one of my older brothers, I think, wanted me to have a puff on a cigarette so that I wouldn't uh, tell our mom on, on his first effort to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I had my last cigarette 30 years later. And that journey of 30 years included becoming an actuary and running a health insurance consultancy and, as I said, coming from a large family, all of whom are in the medical profession. And if you know what an actuary is, we study the science of mortality, which is when and why people die. So it was no mystery to me that smoking is something that will reliably kill you. It's just a matter of time and a very little bit of luck. So at some point, I asked myself, how is it possible that someone who is apparently well-educated and smart enough to know better simply behaves this inconsistently with their knowledge? Hmm. And so I was my own sort of walking experiment of this claim that knowledge is not enough to create human habits. And so Brett Lab's research agenda became these three questions. Number one is, which habits actually make the difference to human health and to what degree do they make a difference? We're really interested to know if exercise is more powerful than meditation or if eating healthily is better than sleep when it comes to improving your performance or lowering your healthcare costs or increasing your stamina. And the second question we're passionate about is, given that we know what to do or we can learn that through research, what does it really take to create these habits? And specifically in a way that leaves people thrilled with the experience or at least grateful for the help you've given them instead of resentful. Economic value to employers if they make an investment in the health and now the performance habits of people. So that's the genesis of our research lab and Habits at Work is a consulting business that uses all of that research to help employers to become high performance employers. We now work not only in the domain of health, but in other performance-supporting habits like financial fitness, employee engagement and happiness, and even the habits that drive your particular job as, for example, a salesperson or an accountant or whatever it is that's your job. Usually our jobs are made up of a couple of habits that we repeat over time with improved fidelity, and that's what it means to be a great performer in a company. So that's my career path and what Brat Lab and Habits at Work are as a research lab and a business. Very interesting. So unfortunately, we only do these interviews an hour. <laughs> so I could, man, we could have, a, you know, hours of conversation about this. But let me start here. You, One of the things that, you know, Habits at Work touts very loudly is that, you know, a, you know, merely successful company can succeed by using up an employee and the companies that are really doing well are actually filling up their employees. So help me understand just really quickly before we dissect the millennial and boomer situations, because I have tons of questions around that. What, what does that truly mean from the standpoint of what you all do and, and habits? Because I like this idea that, that you're presenting around there's, that the overall health to me in, a, in, a, in as an individual, right, uh, of a who works in a corporation would mean that the company's bottom line is also being impacted 
by how healthy I am. But then more importantly, how can a company help to begin to uh, create, let me say, a better work environment? Because there's a ton of intangible things that also uh, go into how healthy I am, not just necessarily the eating, but the stress of the job, right? The environment of the job, the management tiers. I, there's so many things that when I hear you talk, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing kind of all of the, the other ancillary things that just the person that drives into traffic every day and go sits at a desk. I would figure that they would also be somebody that you are studying as well. So what does it mean to use up versus fill up an employee? Okay. Well, I think most people would agree that their experience of work is that in some senses you leave work each day somewhat exhausted, possibly quite stressed, and we often blame work as the reason why we don't have enough time to exercise, the reason why we had to eat badly because we were on the road on the way to meetings, and those are both good excuses, but also, frankly, an honest assessment of where much of the blame lies because we spend about half of our wake adult lifetimes at or on work. In fact, with technology invading our home lives, you may argue that we're on the issue of work almost as, as much as we're awake during the day. Mm. And so I think it is, it is fair to say that the way that work is designed has a consequence and that consequence is people are going home each day unhealthy, unhappy, and insecure, financially insecure. And as I said at the beginning, it, it, it begs the question, why is that happening in this country with all these resources that we have nine out of 10 people retiring in a manner that they can't support themselves in the way they were living pre-retirement? And why are Americans reporting that we're at best 12th to 15th happiest on the international league tables? And we don't have to even mention health. We've already spoken about that. So I, I think the way that working was designed for the last couple of hundred years was a deal between employers and employees that says something like this. You come to work and give us everything. Literally sacrifice your health at the altar of the company. And in return, we'll give you pay and job security and growth and opportunities and whatever else that contract was. And I think we've been complicit in that. You know, we, we wear as a badge of honor our stress and our poor health sometimes. Absolutely. Almost bragging to others about, look at the impact it's having on me. It must be evidence of how much I'm putting into my career and customers. Yeah, I mean, sense? think about it. That is water cooler conversation, right? Like, oh, God, I had to work late last night till, you know, uh, midnight, right? And I'm back in the office today. I mean, we those are things that we just... <laughs> You know, we say and and get uh, applause and, and a pat on the back for. Yeah. And arguably in some com companies, those are the kinds of employees who get promoted and recognized. And that's why I say we're complicit in this way of working. And, and that's what I mean when I say that many companies make profit by using us up. Hmm. And I don't think that that's an invalid choice. I think that's been the way that business has run for many years. We just think there is a, a different choice. And that is instead to make money as a consequence of investing in the life success of people. And you may say, well, you know, what does that mean? When we ask people, what do you really want for yourself and for your life? We get a reliable three answers every time from every person we've ever asked this question, which is 
something along the lines of, I want to be healthy, I want to be happy, and I want to be financially secure. And they'll use different words, but it's generally those same three sentiments. Sure. In, in fact, that's how we define a successful life. So our research has, we think, made, made it indisputably clear that if a company is committed to and succeeds in helping employees to be healthy, happy, and secure, what they'll get back is not just you know the commitment that we're all prepared to give anyway, but a superhuman, if you like, or a much greater level of performance. And you know the research backs it up, but if you just do a simple thought experiment, which is imagine that every employee in your company came to work tomorrow well-rested and energized and having worked out and having eaten well for the last six months and free of the distractions of worrying about making ends meet or funding their 401k and really passionately engaged with your business, not worrying about dysfunctional relationships at home or at work. If they were, in the fullest sense of the word, healthy, happy, and secure, just imagine what kind of performance and focus you would get from them each day. Right. So that's the choice we are asking employers to consider is, can you see how to make money by filling up people? And does our research give you the confidence to take that step knowing that it's probably the most sustainable thing you can do to future-proof your business against the massively rapid changes that we're all facing? Now, some people in corporate America right now love you because what you're telling a lot of HR execs and to all of my audience who are, I know your ears are perking up because you, you're helping them feel like, yes, that is ultimately what will separate our company from a talent engagement perspective to others. But there's a lot to have to be done in order to get there. And I want to talk about that throughout this interview. So Let's let's dive a little layer deeper here on this show. We love to discuss the the millennial and in, in, in baby boomer engagement together and corporate and the career track and the engagement in C-suites. So I'm interested in your perspective on let's just start with millennials. When you talk about habits at work, does your research also allow you to peel back the layers generationally as far as those habits are there some that are different versus a millennial versus a baby boomer? And, and what I'm what I'm more interested in is, you know, what kind of impacts are you seeing from a, from the habit side of things that millennials are putting um, in 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 the in their career path every day that might be different than what you guys have seen with with baby boomers uh, and those of, of an older age? OK, well, you know, there's been a lot said about millennials and Gen Xs and boomers and, and each of these generations and what makes them unique. And I think that some of that is valid. But I'm also one of those people who believes that you know, every generation tends to have a view of the previous and the coming generations that is somewhat similar to the conversation today, which is, you know, they, they never had it as difficult as we did. They've got it easy today. They didn't have to go, what, go through what we did. As my dad always used to say, I walked uh, 10 miles to school in the snow and back in a country that never had snow. <laughs> but we have, this, <laughs> we have this view that, that uh, the next generation and the previous one is somewhat different. And I do think there are some differences, but frankly, I think the big habit that makes these differences 
appear so stark are habits of communication. So I think that we have brought up a generation of millennials, and increasingly the next generation is even more um, you know, brought up on technology. And so their habits of communication are very different in the sense that communication is quick and terse, and it is made through multiple different technological media. And we're used to having the politeness of email or traditional letters taken out of millennial communication. And some boomers are still much more traditional about their communication. And so I think much of the frustration on both ends isn't major differences between who these people are, but fairly significant bad habits of understanding how the other communicates. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, so give us an example. What would be a habit that you would say from a communication standpoint um, is something millennials have brought to the table with that, you know, technology and kind of terse uh, way of discussion, as you, as you put it, that uh, from a habit standpoint and thinking about the, their career as a millennial and, 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 you know, who they're actually interacting with, right? Because one of the things that I always argue uh, and that I share with millennials, no matter where I go, anybody who is younger, as I always tell them, when you were in your career, I need you to understand that you are not talking with, for the majority of your career, everyone who was your age group that speaks the same language the same way. You are actually spending more time in your company dealing with someone who is older. And if you can learn to master how they like to communicate, you are far better off in your career. That's something that I've always believed. So I'm I'm very interested in in your perspective on what are some of those habits that millennials carry that might be hindering um, their, 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 you know, their path, but then also, you know, that might not just be a good healthy habit that they have. Yes. Well, I think the obvious one, and certainly boomers are, are learning this habit also, is communicating almost exclusively by text, email, Snapchat, or some other digital format instead of getting up and walking across the office and having a verbal conversation. And so much is lost when you don't look someone in the eyes, perceive what they're feeling or thinking by seeing how they react. And I think that's missing from every generation, but it's particularly acute for a generation that was brought up using digital media as the primary method of communication with their peers. So that's probably my best example. And you know, as, as a foreigner who's now American, I remember very well coming to this country with the attitude that I understood how Americans think because, you know, I had grown up on American TV and American culture in South Africa. It's something that we aggressively imported to that country. And I was really shocked when I got here to discover that despite the fact that we apparently speak the same language, there are actually massive differences and opportunities for misunderstanding because of some differences in the way we think, some background assumptions about how the world works. Sure. And that's one of the things I think that both millennials and boomers could benefit from thinking about, which is what's so in the mental model of millennials that has them think about the world differently and about how the world works versus the mental models of boomers and how they think the world works. And I think when you understand how someone 
thinks the world works or the way the world operates, you certainly get a richer appreciation for not only what they're saying, but how they're saying it. Absolutely. So, and, and I like the fact that you have such a, a vast experience, but you also have a a vast experience in literally two different worlds, one being South Africa and then coming here to the United States. I'm curious, in the research that you show when it comes to habits, is the is the millennial research the same here in America as it might be in Africa? Are there differences just because there's different cultures, nomenclatures, different, you know, uh, uh, ways of, of life? Are, are there any differences that are even um, even bigger just because of, of the location that that particular millennial might be in? Yes. Well, there's a few ways to answer that question. The first is, you know, we've had the luxury of working in many countries besides South Africa and the U.S., and our research comes from around the world. And I would say two things. Number one, that the habits that support performance are pretty uniform around the, the globe. And that's because fundamentally people are the same. Certainly they're physiologically very similar. Sure. So the impact of exercise on brain function is the same for someone in Africa and someone in Australia and someone in Japan. Well, certainly very similar for the differences not to be worth arguing about. I think what is different is the ways we go about encouraging people to practice these different habits because of differences in culture and worldview and expectations of life. Okay. So the habits are the same, but the methods for, for supporting them differ. Okay. Okay. So what kind of, um, habits, what, what good habits? Let's, let's start there. What kind of good habits do you think are important for millennials to take on that come from a baby boomer that you just said you've seen maybe through research and data that say this is something that is a normal trend that baby boomers have that is a is a good idea for a millennial who might be in their career wanting to become a a true leader. Right. They want to become an executive at some point in that company. What are some of those good habits that maybe baby boomers tend to, to have that are good for a millennial to learn? Okay. So there are many. I'll just mention a few that I I think are my favorites, if nothing else. Uh, The one is persistence. It's that drive to continue in the face of failure. The second is a strong curiosity. And we often relate to curiosity as if it's a trait. You're either a curious person or you're not. In our view, curiosity, though, is something you can practice deliberately. And that makes it, in a sense, a habit you can cultivate. And the third one is is hard work, which is, comes from this assumption that all good things come from hard work. Now, I'm not of the view that millennials lack persistence, curiosity, and hard work. But I am of the view that they have an expectation for faster results, which is totally understandable as the world has transformed into a place where rapid results and amazing things in short periods of time are the norm. So I think that's actually a habit that boomers could learn from millennials. But those are the the top three picks, I would say, in the work sense. I also have noticed interviewing many CEOs over my career that the foundational habits of looking after your own health, happiness, and security are often absent the conversation 
but underlie much of the superior performance of leaders in this country. So, you know, making sure you exercise and taking time to be mindful and present with your wife and family and work and making sure you get great sleep. Uh, Ariana Huffington is doing a great job making it clear the importance of sleep to performance. And really just removing those distractions from our ability to focus and be in that state of flow, which is what really allows us to perform so much higher than we would otherwise. And some of those those distractions are things like, as I mentioned earlier, money worries or relationship problems. And so the habits of investing in both yourself, your financial strength, let's say, and the quality of your relationships at home and at work frees you up to be a top performer. Interesting. So <clears throat> let's let's dive a little deeper into that. And what I want to do is I want I want your perspective from the executive side, sharing with you know, with our audience. And then I want to, I want to also dive a little further into this millennial side. So if I'm an executive and I'm listening to you right now, I, I hear it, I get it. I think I, I think I conceptually understand where you're coming from, but let's talk about the executive's personal habits. You mentioned a couple of those that you've seen that make peak performance from the CEOs that you've, you've talked to and that you've studied. Share with our audience, um, Something that from your research you are seeing that is a consistent um, uh, habit that is being developed, as you say, because to your point, right, if 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 there's habit and, and it's something that we can actually do, then there's something we can quantify and we can actually, you know, we get better at it. So share with the audience something that you see top performing executives and CEOs are are doing like the exercising thing but that is making them a great leader because of these particular habits that they have personally that might not necessarily be habits that are uh, the external things, but they're doing these things personally that just make them a lot better as a leader. What are some of those things that you all see? Okay. There's again, many on the list. I would include as the first, perhaps the habit of planning their day before they execute on the work. And I think many of us are in so much of a rush to wake up, check our phones as, as soon as we do, answer emails, you know, and attend to the smaller tasks of the day, which certainly drain our brain and take some, some of our energy away, that by the time we reach midday, we only are then getting around to prioritizing what are the two or three things that will make the biggest difference to our performance that day. And I've seen many leaders do a great job of prioritizing planning for the day. In other words, the very first task that they do, which is something that requires a lot of mental energy, is to decide what are the one, two, or three things that I must do today that will have the greatest impact. And having decided that, then going to work on those things first and leaving everything else for the, uh, you know, the afternoon time when energy is usually low. And frankly, if those things aren't attended to, they don't make the biggest difference in the world anyway. So prioritization would be perhaps the key habit. Uh, other ones that I see that make people a great leader, and you know, I'm of the view that there aren't such things as great leaders or great managers. There are such things as effective leadership habits and effective management habits. And so I think people increasingly are being asked to be both 
great leaders and great managers, or hmm. more precisely, to practice the habits of great leadership and the habits of great managerial uh, effectiveness. Because in such a varied world, when we're asking people to invent a new future and we're telling stories about a vision that we have, those are habits of leadership, and they effectively ask people to come along on an uncertain journey with us. And people will follow us for many reasons, but at some point they are asking themselves, do I trust this person? And so I think what makes someone able to be effective as a leader is ironically spending time building trust with people, which is an exercise in the present, helping them to improve their skills, giving them great feedback, recognizing and appreciating them, the acts that you might describe as the habits of a great manager. So ironically, I'm, I'm of a view that to be effective as a leader, you need to practice the habits of good management to build trust, and then using up that trust, have the ability to tell stories about the future you see and the vision you're choosing to create and inspire people to come along on that journey with you, which is, for me, some of the habits of being a great leader. Well, that wraps up another great episode. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I want you to do us a favor. Feel free right now. Go ahead and share this episode. Share it with your friends. Share it on LinkedIn throughout your network. But more importantly, if you're on social media, you can share it on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find us at High Level Wisdom. All together at High Level Wisdom is our handle. And you can find us there. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. But don't worry. I know that this was half of a conversation then you cannot wait just like i can in order to be able to hear the rest of it as you know in two days we will release part two of my interview with the ceo of habits at work andrew sykes i look forward in order to be able to release this to you then up until then feel free to share leave comments you can visit our website at high level wisdom and i look forward to enjoying the next part of this interview with you in the next episode